What's up, Bikerumer fans? In this episode, I interviewed Darren Murphy, founder of Push Industries, a high-end rear shock manufacturer who also makes hop-up kits for other brands, forks, and suspension parts. And it's a really cool conversation that we have about manufacturing the U.S. and how they are dealing with the forced shutdowns and business closures going on right now caused by coronavirus or COVID-19, whatever it is you're calling this life-disrupting mayhem right now. And it's neat because there's actually a lot of opportunity right now for those who find it. The trick is being able to find it and knowing what those opportunities are. And so there could be a real silver lining here for people willing to or needing to make a change coming out of this slowdown in the economy. So it's really cool. We talk a lot about manufacturing and automation and what kinds of jobs they are looking for and use them as representative of the economy at whole. Apparently there is a huge need for people who can run machines. And we're not talking about old, greasy, grimy machines here. This is the digital age. It's really cool. I hope you enjoy this. Stay tuned afterwards for a couple of quick notes on what else is going on at Bike Rumor. Here we go with Darren Murphy. Hey, Darren, welcome to the Bike Rumor Show. Uh, thanks. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man. So uh, give our listeners here a quick tee up of how this conversation came to be. You posted something on LinkedIn and and have been about kind of What's new for you coming into work in a very empty office now that we're all sort of under you know home lockdown and there's restrictions on who can go to work and what type of places? And one of the more recent ones that I thought was really interesting was how you came in and you have your CNC or some kind of machines running overnight on autopilot and you come in and boom, there's some stuff done. And I replied to that with just a a comment on how automation is kind of taking over a lot of stuff. And I think that automation is going to people during this lockdown, they're going to realize a couple of things in my opinion is that, you know, we probably don't need these huge offices with all these people because Hey, look, this remote work thing's working out kind of well. Mm -hmm. And I think longer term, there's going to be so much more automation coming into so many sectors that the people who are struggling for jobs now are probably going to be a lot of the same people struggling for jobs over the next decade as more and more of the service industry becomes automated. And you suggest that we had a conversation about this. So, Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and interestingly enough, it's a conversation that I've been having with a number of people, it seems like, over the last year and a half or so. So even prior to this you know, knockdown that we're experiencing right now, um, it's been something that I've been talking about a lot, something that we've obviously invested a bunch of time and research into, and um, yeah, I think I, I think I have a different take on it, mainly because of what my company is experiencing, as as well as other companies that I've that I've spoken to that are in the same boat. Um, and a little background, you know, I was in England actually a year ago, a little over a year ago at the uh, Bespoke Bike Show, and um, spent a t- bunch of time with Chris King. And so Chris King is very similar to Push, and. Uh, um, even more than we thought once we started, you know, going out at night and, and having a few beers and, and food and kind of discussing our businesses, we found out we were actually very similar. And we both had similar challenges in the fact that we were actually trying to grow our manufacturing due to some of this, some of this automation and we're unable to, you know, just, you know, we have, we have a growing side of our business that we can't fill positions. And so while there is a lot of discussion in regards to automation and how it replaces jobs, um, in our case, it's actually creating jobs. And it's the one area that we have the biggest struggle in trying to fill, oddly enough. 
So it's funny because I had like sort of a similar conversation in one regard and in a roundabout way with Josh from Silka in that. And that was when (laughs) the last crisis we had, which was the whole uh, tariffs on China thing, you know, crisis for the bike industry anyway, and how all of that mess really discouraged hiring for U.S. manufacturing and and discouraged creating U.S. jobs, even though that was sort of the whole point was to punish this player for low wages that were or, or things that caused, you know, low cost stuff, whatever. It was a big old mess. Right. But yeah. And it's funny how there's all these different things change the scene. But like so what in particular about manufacturing do you see growing because to me i see a lot of more opportunity for automation which negates the need for more employees yeah and well i think there yeah there's 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 two ways you look at it you know one is that without automation you know it used to be so for us right we we are a cnc manufacturer and so it used to be that you know you'd have a floor of say say you have six machines and six operators that would stand at those machines and run those. And in today's day and age, we have two machines that can do the work of those six machines um, through automation. The difference is, is you used to have six kind of medium pay positions uh, running those machines. And now we have two really skilled high pay positions that run those machines. Um, But I think what the, for us, what the automation is, is brought is the ability to keep all of our manufacturing in-house. And I think that's been the big difference. So the problem is scaling scaling single manufacturing or single operator manufacturing is actually quite expensive and quite daunting. And even like from a space perspective, you know, so I look at what our footprint is here in Colorado and, you know, we have approximately what, 14,000 square feet or something like that. Um, availability of spaces, commercial spaces is is challenging. And so having, being able to scale our manufacturing in a way that we can actually fit it into our building is, is very enticing. Um, But it's what's keeping the, keeping the manufacturing here, you know? So the fact that this automation allows us to continue to scale our manufacturing is what's preventing us from actually having to go out and, and subcontract, you know, that work. And so, Yes, it is true that we don't have as many machines with as many operators, but um, we are continuing to grow that automation level and provide skilled, you know, very skilled positions that are actually really well paying. Um, and, I, and I can tell you right now, I mean, that's it, we have more open positions in manufacturing that we're able to fill. And I think it's a mindset in here in, in the U.S. for so many years, we've everyone's outsourced. Well, let's talk about our industry in general, right? Let's just keep it to the cycling industry. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know what the percentage it is, but it's got to be over 80% of our industry is in Asia, right? I mean, it's got a, it's a, it's a huge number. And so for us, it's, it's really about how do we, how, how can we continue to sustain, sustain our business and grow our business, um, on a path that we we really understand. Which almost sounds like a different topic because I think, um, well, let me ask. So, you know, you're telling stories on LinkedIn about how you're going into an office that's empty and for the first yeah. time in however many years you've had to start assembling the shocks again because yeah. your employees can't come in to do that. 
how are like are you adapting in ways right now to this situation and just to timestamp this we're talking about the COVID-19 you know coronavirus thing um how are you adapting to maintain production levels and shipping and everything else when you can't have your full staff there operating obviously you're making it work yeah and it's we have a skeleton crew so you know we do have so we are a business that's shut down you know so here in Colorado we're on we're on shutdown my wife and I, who have been, you know, quarantined together, obviously this whole time, uh, have been coming in and doing all the work uh, as far as like building and shipping, etc. We do have um, one manufacturing personnel, so our our building's broken into three units, and so we're able to separate our main building from manufacturing. So we do have one person in manufacturing that's coming in each day. Uh, one thing about the equipment that we have, you can't just shut it off and walk away. So the idea of shutting it off and letting it sit for 30 days doesn't really work. These these um, pieces of equipment really need to be moving, really need to be pumping the coolant and the oil. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of maintenance that would or service that would be required after the fact if we let them shut down, which would be very costly. So we do have one person in manufacturing that comes in each day and is able to program and set up and kind of keep small production. Um, but again, most of it's just maintaining the equipment and, you know, moving, we're cutting a lot of air right now, not, not actually cutting a lot of parts, but we do, we are cutting, you know, we do have small production continuing to uh, move forward and small assembly. Um, you know, we're a company that doesn't have a, you know, we don't have a, we don't have the operating capital to basically just say, okay, well, we have to shut, we can shut down and, and just walk away and come back in a month. Uh, we have to maintain some kind of you know, revenue that moving forward. And so that's kind of what our operations look like today is one person in manufacturing and my wife and I uh, here just kind of, I'm building everything right now and she's helping with invoicing and shipping. And we're just doing, doing a little bit each day, trying to make it through to the other side. You know, we, we will survive. Um, We're wondering what the damage will look like and what the other, what the other side looks like, much like everybody. Yeah. What happened to your production volume? Like how much has the volume dropped or sales dropped? If, you know, share what numbers you want. Yeah, I mean, for sure, like sales right now are, you know, 30% of what they normally would be. So sales have really crumbled, um, but we'll take it. You know, every little bit helps. We really appreciate everyone who's supporting us, that's for sure. I mean, production has got to be cut. I mean, production maybe is running at 15 20% maybe, you know, I mean, very small numbers. Like I said, we're keeping things moving. We're keeping the lights on, keeping things moving. But I mean, this isn't something that's sustainable by any means. It's just something that's, it's it's a little bit of something, you know, unfortunately, uh, for whatever reason, you know, we have, we, we didn't receive any PPP or EIDL money, which is the, the employee paycheck program and the uh, economic disaster program. Hopefully we'll see something out of that, but at this point, you know, we haven't. Um, so we're just continuing to plug away as, as best we can, you know. Right. What, like, as far as how you operate the company, are you just going to go back to business as usual when this is over or as things open up? Or are you taking some of the lessons in like, oh, well, hey, we could make this part work with fewer people or, or fewer machines or whatever it is. Like, what lessons are you learning from this that you're going to apply to the way you operate in the future? Um, I, yeah, I certainly, we've certainly been able to leverage a lot of tools that we've always had that we didn't really know about. So, you know, our cloud, we're, we're a heavily cloud-based company. 
Um, we so we do have the ability to work remotely more than we thought we did, and we've we've shown some efficiencies there. But for us, it's we're looking forward to business as usual, to bringing everyone back into the building, and for the most part, um, you know, prior to this going down, I mean, we we were hiring. I mean, we were in a position where we had like five or six open positions, and so we, you know, we can't afford to lose anybody. That's the way we looked at this when it came to the shutdown. Our first conversation was. How do we keep our people? Like, how do we? How do we? We don't want to lose anybody over this deal. So for us, it is business as usual. We will have more flexibility. So now we know if people are traveling or if something comes up and someone needs to work from home, we do have better up. It's we've learned um, about some of the tools that we have that we didn't know how productive they could be. But we're certainly not. We're not downsizing. We're we're not scaling back. We're looking forward, and we're looking we're looking at bringing everybody back here, and hopefully getting back to a position where we'll still have those open positions, and we'll start filling those again. So for us, it's it's all about forward. All right. Um, yeah. And again, this, this could be a sensitive subject. I don't know, but I just you know, for me, who has built their entire business around being mobile and flexible and not locked down to one position and also running a super lean team that can do the same thing, work from anywhere. Um, it's interesting to me that a lot of people either wanted to be laid off just so they could collect unemployment or mm-hmm. the employer had to do it and just kind of like sped up that process so that the people, his people, his or her people could go claim unemployment and get those benefits. How have you handled that? Do you have did you fire people with the intention of just rehiring them or? Um, so we, we kept, we did furlough a group of people for sure. Um, is that, know, sorry, us, is that like a fancy word of saying we're firing you, but I'm going to hire you back when it's better or is it a different it, structure well, altogether? It is, it is a little bit different. So in, in a respects, I mean, I'll speak to our company, you know, we use the term furlough because we're continuing to pay. So the employees um, that were furloughed do get laid off are able to qualify for unemployment. Um, we're continuing to pay their health insurance so they don't lose their health insurance. And um, in our case, we uh, have built an escrow account so that when the employees come back, the money that, because unemployment doesn't pay you your full salary. So for employees that come back to the company and we want them all back and they all want to come back, um, we have an escrow account to make them whole. So for the whatever they lost during the unemployment period, um, will the company will pay back through this through this escrow account. So at the end of the day, they will be whole and they won't they won't have health insurance benefits that will have lapsed. And so we're really we're really trying to. I mean, that's more information that I should give out. But that's how we <laughs> it, that's how we handled it. You know, our our people are very important to us, and we've we've spent a lot of years building a really quality team here. So I, I've, I've also heard other companies who are using this opportunity to, you know, cut the fat and get rid of people. And fortunately, push is not in a position where we need or want to do that. We're in a position where we've grown a really strong team of people. Um, they all have a high value to the organization and are, and are what makes this company great. And so we wanted to look at, hey, we, we, have, to, we have to make some cuts because we don't know what the other side looks like. But how can we do that in a way that's that's a good scenario for our employees? So for us, furlough was, yes, we had some layoffs, but we continue to pay the health benefits and we put that escrow account in place to help make them whole when they come back. That's pretty awesome. Um, 
So let's talk just kind of general industry, not push specific. And because yeah. I have you here, I'm going to talk to you about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, one of the books I've read recently is called The War on Normal People by Andrew Yang. And it's actually like the first four fifths of it are just like, holy crap, I'm freaking out right now because it's going to get super <laughs> bad. Um, and, and it really talks a lot about this, how much of the service industry and the, the low wage jobs and all these things that can be automated will be automated. And I'm just thinking like, man, you know, like, I don't think it's going to be too long before if I went into a McDonald's that I order and there's a robot making the burgers, right? Like it's not <laughs> a high skill job and a, something that could probably be automated very quickly and displace a ton of people. Yeah. And the, the bright side of where I'm going with this is I actually think bike shop employees are going to be very, very hard to automate because there's a lot of nuance to repairing a bike. There's a lot of nuance to selling a bike if it's done well and getting somebody, you know, properly fit in size and letting somebody test ride it. And, you know, you can't really automate that too much with a form on a website saying, I like this color and this is my yep. inseam height. Um, but, like, where else do you see – how do you see the industry in, as a whole coming out of this? Well, I mean, that's a tough one, right? Because <laughs> – Obviously, this the state of bicycle retail has already been. I think the industry is, so we, it it's kind of weird. Push started as a consumer direct brand, and over the last few years, we've really focused on trying to get into dealers and distributors and trying to get a wholesale business started. So we've been kind of doing the opposite. The industry as a whole, I think, has been obviously an IBD and distributor. Uh, based business and they've been trying to figure out how to go consumer direct and still support those channels and we've been going the other direction so i think my view is a little bit different obviously um i don't think anybody can deny that bicycle retail has been challenged prior to all this happening right i mean the last couple of years those channels have really been challenged and i think um you know I, i've discussed this before too the bike industry is made up of a ton of passionate people who love bikes and all of these things, myself included. That's why I got into it. And I think that the struggle is there's not a lot of uh, business people in the bike industry. So I think um, myself included, you know, for years we ran the company, you know, we were just buying and selling. We didn't understand the numbers or profit and loss. We didn't understand balance sheets, any of that stuff. And it took a number of years before I actually got involved with some people who, said, hey, we need to, we really need to figure out the business side of it. So you have a cash flow and um, annual forecast and uh, your, your profit and loss and balance sheet are really important. And this is why. And so we run now um, a very analytical financial, you know, aspect of the company, which is why we're in the position we are today, where we're going to weather the storm because we know exactly, you know, all the numbers. I think the, the bike business is... I think it's got a lot of passionate people who don't really have a feel for for the business side of it and how their company makes money or how their shop makes money, um, where to actually leverage the tools that they have. I agree with you wholeheartedly that automation isn't going to replace the retail storefront. I think that I've seen a number of retail stores who have moved away from 
I, I think one of the more successful, well, this is just my opinion, but I, I like the idea of these retail shops that are really focused on aftermarket parts and accessories and not so much the bike brands. Like almost let the bike brand go out and sell the bikes direct to consumer or through their channels. And then you be the resource for the cables and the brake pads and the tires. And, the you know, like it's a, it seems like those, those are higher profitable, better ways of, of sustaining your company. So I think for bike shops, um, morphing into being more of a service-based business to your point, you know, being that, that great, um, just a, a great opportunity for a customer to come in and, and learn about upgrades or better tires or, you know, how to better maintain their bikes, um, have do-it-yourself clinics and do-it-yourself kits. And I think that's, that's really a, a good state of retail for bike shops. And that, that's just the way I look at it, I guess. But I think that the industry as a whole is going to be, is going to be hit uh, hard from this. I think there's a lot of retail stores that don't have the operating capital to survive for, you know, six or eight weeks, if that's what this is going to be. And it's tragic, you know, it's, it's a big bummer. And I think there's going to be a lot that are going to adapt. Hopefully there's going to be a lot that are going to adapt. Yeah. I mean, I know there's plenty of shops in town here that have just a tremendous amount of inventory sitting there costing them money every day. That's not moving very quickly, but yeah. the service they're they're always busy fixing bikes. And I've kind of long for years now thought that, you know, the smart bike shops are going to be the ones that focus on service because you can't, uh, I don't know, you own that, right? Like, of course, yeah. it's harder to scale because you need more people and people are expensive and everything. But yeah. it, it is one of those things that um, you can't buy it online, right? You can watch right. videos, but you got to go buy the parts somewhere. And if you need yeah. to repair something right away, <laughs> you yeah. know, Amazon's not that fast yet. Yeah. But um, so from your brand standpoint, because you guys make an extremely high-end product, yeah. uh, the some of the things we're seeing just in terms of like industry coverage and all that, that there are a lot of bike shops that are actually doing pretty well because people are now stuck having to go do something. Yeah. So they're sure. going out and riding bikes or they're getting their old bikes fixed up. But, um, and actually like, I think online bike sales are from what I can gather are doing pretty well, yeah. but it's probably not super high end stuff. It's kids bikes and family yeah. bikes and stuff like that. So how, like, how have you seen customers transition from getting into it and then replacing a shock to upgrading to something like yours, which is a very expensive premium product? How long does that path seem to take? Yeah, I mean, our business is totally different. Um, fortunately for us, you know, we're we're not a super high volume business. You know, I think that's one of the things that's going to help sustain us is the fact that, um we don't, you know, our sales volume is not, we're not like a Fox or a rock shop where we're just selling hundreds of thousands of units, obviously. So I think that's, what's going to, that's, what's going to, that's what keeps us alive. You know, from what's going on right now, um, I think, our, you know, our drop in sales is coming from people waiting and seeing, you know, I think that's a lot of us all have that mindset. So even the people who were already kind of committed in their mind to buying and had already allocated the money to buy our product specifically, are just kind of in a wait and see mode. So I think for our brand, once kind of the dust settles and and we kind of get back to whatever the new normal is going to be, I think our sales will come back um, because those people are just kind of waiting in the wings to see what's what's going to happen. So um, for us, we're optimistic about what it's going to look like. You know, the the customer acquisition for us is a 
is a long process. You know, it's we make a very expensive product. It's a very technical product. People, you know, it's it's several emails, several phone calls, several online chats before people actually finally pull the trigger. And so right now we have a really big uptick in our online chat and email traffic. You know, so while our phones are nearly down, you know, I'm here trying to answer from time to time, but we do have people working at home that are you know, still on our online chat and our email service. And yeah, our numbers are through the roof because people are at home, you know, they've got time on their hands and are doing the research. So I think for us, um, you know, I'm optimistic that when we come out the other side, people will have done all of the research uh, during this kind of downtime and we'll be ready to, you know, hopefully ready to start purchasing our products again. So, and the, the other thing too, I will say is, you know, we do have quite a line of do-it-yourself products um, so that stuff, the sales of those products, while lower revenue for us, um, are actually good sales volume right now. So our do-it-yourself fork seal kits and our do-it-yourself, you know, um, damper kits and spring kits, that's mainly what we're selling right now. So not a lot of shock sales, but a lot of the do-it-yourself stuff, um, which is, I'm glad we had that kind of product category in our, in our group for sure. Yeah. A lot of free time to uh, fix up tune up the bike that you've been neglecting for a while yeah yeah our, our youtube channel and like vimeo videos like all that stuff's through the roof because people are watching our like how to install an acs3 kit and say oh i can do that and then they buy it and so um yeah a lot of I, and it's not just our products right i mean it's i think a lot of people are spending a lot of time learning how to do do-it-yourself projects and that's what they're using to fill their time right now so right on yeah i, yeah. I think it is a good time to just take advantage of the fact that a lot of people are bored and looking for anything to entertain or educate themselves and just you <laughs> yeah. know use that to really build your brand right like the more you can communicate how your stuff works and answer those questions you're building those relationships yeah. now that you know will probably pay off in the near future so yeah yeah awesome. i hope so but real quick i will swing it back i you know i am going to swing it back we've been kind of bouncing around a little bit um, but, but I would like it to swing it back just on that manufacturing aspect um, really quick, kind of what started this whole conversation, which is there's there's two things that are going on. So, yes, while I, I do feel like there's going to be a lot of automation, uh, to your point, like a local McDonald's or something like that, that's going to, um, you know, it's going to replace jobs. I think that there's a big lack of education. I'm just speaking about here in the US, uh, but there's a big lack of education of what the opportunities are. And so, you know, those people that may lose their job, it's just really about, I'll, I'll use this example. We've been working with our local community college. So we, um, uh, down in Longmont, there's a local community college that has a, um, a skilled manufacturing program. And, you know, it's, I have two, two grown boys um, in high school and it's interesting how their view of, of manufacturing is just not something that they've never been exposed to. It. You know, shoot, I'm not, <laughs> we're a manufacturing company and they haven't really been exposed to it. But, you know, their view of manufacturing and what is available, you know, I look at this community college that's local to us and the cost of going to a school like that and the time, like you can spend a year or two years going to a community college for a relatively low um, cost. And you can come out and come to a company like ours and make, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars pretty quickly. So, you know, for some of these, for some of these people that are looking for skilled work, the manufacturing industry right now is starving for people. Um, you know, we work with a lot of these big machine companies, and that's all you hear. Machine like high-end automation, 
machine sales are low in the US because companies don't have people to run them. So there's companies that want to buy and want to expand their manufacturing, but they can't because they don't have the people. And we're all struggling, myself, Chris King, I mean, we're struggling to find people that are willing to come in and work um, because they think that manufacturing represents kind of old, grimy, greasy, dark, dingy, you know, kind of work environments, a lot of hard labor, et cetera. And what they don't realize it's, it's like tablet based, it's computer <laughs> systems and, and virtual simulations. And it's, it's really high tech, uh, skilled work that pays really well, you know, and, and, um, I think that's a missed opportunity for a lot of people. So one is, is we do have a lack of resources here in the U.S. or education to tell people that, hey, you know, you're making 12 bucks an hour flipping burgers right now. And for 15 grand, uh, you could go to a community college nights and weekends and get a certificate in CNC manufacturing. And you can go, you know, change that from 12 bucks an hour to 25 bucks an hour pretty quickly, you know. Um, so that's a that's a big opportunity that's out there. Yeah, I would imagine the more industrious of them would figure out ways to get grants and scholarships too. So oh. because like you, you say that the fifteen grand, somebody flipping burgers would be like, I don't have fifteen grand. Yeah. Nope, can't do it. Yeah. But the financial aid programs are awesome, and you know I'll use our company as an example because we've had struggles finding people. We we transitioned into a point where um, recently we had um, we had we just found a really good employee. Excuse me. So we had a we had a guy that was working here that just hustled and was working really hard over in manufacturing, doing more of the grunt work, you know, chip barrels and cleaning coolant and cutting raw materials. But it really showed the drive. And so we paid for him. So we sent him to the community college and paid for him to get his certificate um, because he just was a he was a good employee. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's that's what we've kind of found is that rather than try to find these people, let's just find good people and then we'll help. And so a lot of companies would do that. You know, a lot of companies are in that same situation where, yes, there's grant money. Yes, there's, you know, um, student loans that you can take out. But also there's companies that are willing to kind of help foot the bill if if you're willing to give a commitment back to the company. Yeah. And I imagine it's it would be a bit of a gamble if you said, OK, well, in two years, I'll come see after I got my thing. But I bet they could probably come in, in many cases, work for that company in some other capacity, yep. start learning how things work. And, you know, even I mean, really probably learn a lot on the job that might even yep. accelerate the time they uh, spend in school and stuff. So. Yeah. And, and that's what we did with this particular employee is yeah, he was doing the nights and nights program. So it was, um, uh, three nights a week. So he was after work, you know, hopping in the car and then going down to school for, you know, three hours or whatever. So it was a big commitment on his part, but then he was coming back to push and working in that environment each day. So yeah, it was a great accelerated learning program for him and it worked out for, it It was mutually beneficial, right? Because, um, he, he made progress in his professional life and the company benefited from, uh, from that as well. So it's a mutually beneficial program and there's there's more of that out there yeah so that that's one of the things i wanted to touch on and then the other thing i just would bring up is as a as an industry one of the things that i've learned now that we've learned about this manufacturing and and automation and um, how it works and what the costs are involved i think there's a i think that companies in our industry would be surprised like i look at um you know making a pedal for instance you know like making a flat pedal you know and how many companies source 
like a, a pedal or a stem or, you know, like machined parts like this from Asia. And they think that's the only way they can do it. And for me, I, I think that if a, uh, a company was to come here and see how we manufacture and see what it would actually take to make a pedal um, and how you could do it for the same cost, but have all of the control. So the automation, back to the automation side of it, what this automation brings is it actually brings the opportunity for companies who are currently outsourcing the products to bring it in-house and have something where they control the whole process, the quality, the volume. And so instead of having to buy, you know, minimum quantities from Asia and have to select the colors or whatever it is ahead of time, you can actually have more of a just-in-time manufacturing opportunity that is all under your control for the same money, honestly. Hmm. I yeah, think that would be surprising cool. to our industry. Yeah, and I think you know, just something I was thinking of is like we I went and toured Banduit, which does the custom upfitting for uh, Ford Transits recently, and yeah, they they order in a lot of the things pre-cut from a local supplier, but then they have to still machine and drill and assemble and all this stuff, and it's a lot of skilled labor. And like, I don't know how many of those people actually owned one of those vans or cared about custom, you know, upfitted yeah. vans and stuff. And I think. I've been to some bicycle manufacturers, especially if you look at like using Asia as an example, right? Like a lot of those factory workers, you know, they may ride a bike to get to and from work, but they're not quote unquote cyclists, yeah. right? Yeah. I think that's one thing a lot of people maybe don't think of is like, well, I'm not a cyclist. I'm not going to go work for a bike company, but it's like, it's a manufacturing job. It doesn't matter what the company's doing. You're learning manufacturing and you can literally take those skills and probably take them to just about any small manufacturing firm in any industry anywhere in the U.S., Yep, so it's 100%. yeah, it's kind of bigger picture thinking that um, I think we need to encourage for a lot of people as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a problem with exposure. Like I said, I mean, people just um, yeah, I it's you know DMG Mori, which is the you know we use DMG Mori machines here. Um, they're they're the Porsches of CNC manufacturing. They're super high end, super nice. Um, it's a great company to work with. The precision is unbelievable. But they're a company, um, you know, we, I've, I've been to their facilities and um, talk with their salespeople and management. It's a great company to deal with. And yeah, they'll tell you right up front that, you know, they could actually deliver more machines here in the U.S. if there was more people willing to go to work, you know, utilizing those machines. It's incredible. It's an incredible thought to, to, to think that these, there's all these high paying jobs out there that, that just can't get filled. All right. Yeah, that is kind of crazy. It seems like the machine manufacturer should offer scholarships. <laughs> they do. And they, yeah, and they do. But it's, again, it's an exposure thing. It's like, it's how do you, because you still, you know, you still need good, reliable, responsible people. You know, that's, that's what it takes. And so not everyone who is working a low wage job is responsible or, you know, you still have to, you have to have a good person. Uh, but there's a ton of people, I know there's a ton of people out there that, um, you know, today are, they're good people, they're hardworking, um, really responsible. And they're just, they're, they, they just don't, don't know, know what, what the opportunities yeah, are. They don't know what the opportunities are, you know, and that's why, man, if you could just put in front of them, like, Hey, here's an op, you know, Today's high-end manufacturing, whether it's a push industries or a high-end aerospace manufacturing or, I mean, Tesla, I mean, there's lots of cool companies that have these positions available and they're all struggling to find people to fill them. And I think part of it is because, ourselves included, we went down the path of looking for experienced people. And now we've realized that that's, 
that's more difficult to find. So now let's just find good people and let's provide the environment and the education to to train them ourselves. Yeah, I think that's been a, a smart piece of advice for anyone is just, you know, find good people, train them to do the job, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome. For sure. Well, very cool. I think it's probably give a lot of people lot to chew on for the next couple of months yeah. <laughs> while <Yeah>. we're <laughs> locked down. <laughs> you know, start taking online courses now. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Yeah. Darren, man, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, thanks for listening. Speaking of life disruptions from coronavirus, right now we'd typically be hammering through our Sea Otter coverage. So if you're listening to this right as it posts, you'll notice that we've been doing something called Remote Otter. It's the bike rumor take on virtual coverage of Sea Otter, even though Sea Otter was postponed till much, much later this year. But you know what? A lot of brands still had some really cool new stuff to show off. We wanted to cover it. So we made them shoot some videos showing off the new stuff. And it gives you a little taste of the people's personality behind the brand. So check it out. It's all over Bike Rumor right now. Thanks a ton. Hit like, hit subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll catch you next time.